Chapters 33 and 34 of Don Quixote, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Conrad. Don Quixote, Volume 2, by Miguel de Cervantes Cervedra. Translated by John Ormsby. Chapters 33 and 34. Chapter 33. Of the delectable discourse which the Duchess and her damsels held with Sancho Panza. Well worth reading and noting. The history records that Sancho did not sleep that afternoon, but in order to keep his word came, before he had well done dinner, to visit the Duchess, who, finding enjoyment in listening to him, made him sit down beside her on a low seat, though Sancho, out of pure good breeding, wanted not to sit down. The Duchess, however, told him he was to sit down as governor, and talk as squire. As in both respects, he was worthy of even the chair of the Cid Rudias, the Compiador. Sancho shrugged his shoulders, obeyed, and sat down, and all the duchess's damsels and duennas gathered round him, waiting in profound silence to hear what he would say. It was the duchess, however, who spoke first, saying, Now that we are alone, and there is nobody here to overhear us, I should be glad if the senor governor would relieve me of certain doubts I have, rising out of the history of the great Don Quixote that is now in print. One is, inasmuch as worthy Sancho never saw Dulcinea, I mean the lady Dulcinea del Toboso, nor took Don Quixote's letter to her, for it was left in the memorandum book in the Sierra Morena, how did he dare to invent the answer and all that about finding her sifting wheat, the whole story being a deception and falsehood? And so much to the prejudice of the peerless Dulcinea's good name, a thing that is not at all becoming the character and fidelity of a good squire. At these words, Sancho, without uttering one in reply, got up from his chair, and with noiseless steps, with his body bent and his finger on his lips, went all round the room lifting up the hangings. And this done, he came back to his seat and said, Now, Signora, that I have seen that there is no one except the bystanders listening to us on the sly. I will answer what you have asked me, and all you may ask me, without fear or dread. And the first thing that I have got to say is, that for the most part I hold my master Don Quixote to be stark mad, though sometimes he says things that, to my mind, and indeed everybody's that listens to him, are so wise and run in such a straight furrow, that Satan himself could not have said them better. But for all that, really, and beyond all question, it's my firm belief that he is cracked. Well then, as this is clear to my mind, I can venture to make him believe things that have neither head nor tail, like that affair of the answer to the letter, and that other of six or eight days ago, which is not yet in history. That is to say, the affair of the enchantment of my lady Dulcinea. For I made him believe she is enchanted, though there is no more truth to it than over the hills of Ubeda. 
The Duchess begged him to tell her about the enchantment or deception, so Sancho told the whole story exactly as it had happened, and his hearers were not a little amused by it. And then resuming, the Duchess said, In consequence of what worthy Sancho has told me, a doubt starts up in my mind, and there comes a kind of whisper to my ear that says, If Don Quixote be mad, crazy, and cracked, and Sancho Panza, his squire, knows it, and notwithstanding serves and follows him, and goes trusting to his empty promises, there can be no doubt he must be still madder and sillier than his master. And that being so, it will be cast in your teeth, Signora Duchess, if you give the said Sancho an island to govern, for how will he, who does not know how to govern himself, know how to govern others? By God, Signora, said Sancho, but that doubt comes timely. But your grace may say it out, and speak plainly, or as you like, for I know what you say is true, and if I were wise, I should have left my master long ago. But this was my fate, this was my bad luck. I can't help it, I must follow him. We're from the same village, I've eaten his bread. I'm fond of him, I'm grateful, he gave me his ascolts. And above all, I'm faithful. So it's quite impossible for anything to separate us, except the pickaxe and shovel. And if your highness does not like to give me the government you promised, God made me without it, and maybe your not giving it to me will be all the better for my conscience. For fool as I am, I know the proverb, To her hurt, the ant got wings, and it may be that Sancho the squire will get to heaven sooner than Sancho the governor, and they make as good bread here as in France, and by night all cats are gray, and a hard case enough his who hasn't broken his fast at two in the afternoon, and there's no stomach a hand's breadth bigger than another, and the same can be filled with straw or hay, as the saying is, and the little birds of the field have God for their purveyor and caterer, and Four yards of Cusena frise keep one warmer than four of Segovia broadcloth, and when we quit this world and are put underground, the prince travels by as narrow a path as the journeyman, and the pope's body does not take up more feet of earth than the sacristan's, for all that the one is higher than the other. For when we go to our graves, we all pack ourselves up and make ourselves small, or rather, they pack us up and make us small in spite of us, and then good night to us. And I say once more, if your ladyship does not like to give me the island because I am a fool, like a wise man I will take care to give myself no trouble about it. I have heard say that behind the cross there's the devil, and that all that glitters is not gold and that from among the oxen and the plows and the yokes, Wamba, the husbandman, was taken to be made king of Spain, and from among brocades and pleasures and riches. Roderick was taken to be devoured by adders, if the verses of the old ballads don't lie. 
To be sure they don't lie, exclaimed Donna Rodriguez, the duenna who is one of the listeners. Why, there's a ballad that says they put King Rodrigo alive into a tomb full of toads and adders and lizards, and that two days afterwards the king, in a plaintive, feeble voice, cried out from the tomb, They gnaw me now, they gnaw me now, there where I most did sin. And according to that, the gentleman has good reason to say he would rather be a laboring man than a king, if vermin are to eat him. The duchess could not help laughing at the simplicity of her duenna, or wondering at the language and proverbs of Sancho, to whom she said, Worthy Sancho knows very well that when once a knight has made a promise, he strives to keep it, though it should cost him his life. My lord and husband the duke, though not one of the errant sort, is none the less a knight for that reason, and will keep his word about the promised island in spite of the envy and malice of the world. Let Sancho be of good cheer, for when he least expect it, he will find himself seated on the throne of his island and seat of dignity, and will take possession of his government that he may discard it for another of the three bordered brocade. The charge I give him is to be careful how he governs his vassals, bearing in mind that they are all loyal and well-born. As to governing them well, said Sancho, there's no need of charging me to do that, for I'm kind-hearted by nature and full of compassion for the poor. There's no stealing the loaf from him who needs and bakes, and by my faith it won't do to throw false dice with me. I'm an old dog, and I know all about tuss tuss. I can be wide awake if need be, and I don't let clouds come before my eyes, for I know where the shoe pinches me. I say so because with me the good will have support and protection, and the bad neither footing nor access. And it seems to me that, in governments, to make a beginning is everything, and maybe after having been governor for a fortnight, I'll take kindly to the work and know more about it than the field laborer I have been brought up to. You are right, Sancho, said the Duchess, for no one is born ready taught, and the bishops are made out of men and not out of stones. But to return to the subject we were discussing just now, the enchantment of the Lady Dulcinea, I look upon it as certain, and something more than evident, that Sancho's idea of practicing a deception upon his master, making him believe that the peasant girl was Dulcinea, and that if he did not recognize her, it must be because she was enchanted, was all a device of one of the enchanters that persecute Don Quixote. For in truth and earnest, I know from good authority that the coarse country wench who jumped up on the ass was, and is, Dulcinea del Toboso, and that worthy Sancho, though he fancies himself the deceiver, is the one that is deceived, and that there is no more reason to doubt the truth of this than of anything else we ever saw. Signor Sancho Panza must know that we too have enchanters here that are well disposed to us, and tell us what goes on in the world, plainly and distinctly, without subterfuge or deception. And, believe me, Sancho, that agile country lass was and is Dulcinea del Toboso, who is as much enchanted as the mother that bore her, 
and when we least expect it, we shall see her in her own proper form, and then Sancho will be disabused of the error he is under at present. All that's very possible, said Sancho Panza, and now I'm willing to believe what my master says about what he saw in the cave of Montesinos, where he says that he saw the lady Dulcinea del Toboso in the very same dress and apparel that I said I had seen her in when I enchanted her all to please myself. And it must be all exactly the other way, as your ladyship says, because it is impossible to suppose that out of my poor wit such a cunning trick could be concocted in a moment. Nor do I think my master is so mad that by all my weak and feeble persuasion he could be made to believe a thing so out of all reason. But, Signora, your excellence must not therefore think me ill-disposed, for adult like me is not bound to see into the thoughts and plots of those vile enchanters. I invented all that to escape my master's scolding, and not with any intention of hurting him, for if it is turned out differently, there is a God in heaven who judges our hearts. That is true, said the Duchess, but tell me, Sancho, what is this you say about the cave of Montesinos, for I should like to know? Sancho, upon this related to her, word for word, what has been said already touching that adventure, and having heard it, the Duchess said, from this occurrence it may be inferred that as the great Don Quixote says he saw there the same country wench Sancho saw on the way from El Toboso, it is no doubt Dulcinea, and that there are some very active and exceedingly busy enchanters about. So I say, said Sancho, and if my lady Dulcinea is enchanted, so much the worse for her, and I'm not going to pick a quarrel with my master's enemies, who seem to be many and spiteful. The truth is that the one I saw was a country wench, and I set her down to be a country wench, and if that was Dulcinea it must not be laid at my door, nor should I be called to answer for it or take the consequences, but they must go nagging at me at every step. Sancho said it, Sancho did it, Sancho here, Sancho there, as if Sancho was nobody at all, and not that same Sancho Panza that's now going all over the world in books. So Samson Carrasco told me, and he's at any rate one that's a bachelor of Salmanaca. And people of that sort can't lie, except when the whim seizes them or they have some very good reason for it. There's no occasion for anybody to quarrel with me. And then I have a good character. And as I have heard my master say, a good name is better than great riches. Let them only stick me into this government, and they'll see wonders. For one who has been a good squire will be a good governor. All worthy Sancho's observations, said the Duchess, are Cantonian sentences, or at any rate out of the very heart of Michael Verino himself, who florentibus ossidit ennis. In fact, to speak in his own style, under a bad cloak there's often a good drinker. Indeed, Signora, said Sancho, I never yet drank out of wickedness. From thirst I have very likely, for I have nothing of the hypocrite in me. I drink when I'm inclined, or, if I'm not inclined, 
when they offer it to me, so as not to look either straight-laced or ill-bred. For when a friend drinks one's health, what heart can be so hard as not to return it? But if I put on my shoes, I don't dirty them. Besides, squires to knights errant mostly drink water, for they are always wandering among woods, forests, and meadows, mountains and crags, without a drop of wine to be had if they gave their eyes for it. So I believe, said the Duchess, and now let Sancho go and take his sleep, and we will talk by and by at greater length, and settle how he may soon go and stick himself into the government, as he says. Sancho once more kissed the Duchess's hand, and entreated her to let good care be taken of his dapple, for he was the light of his eyes. "'What is Dapple?' said the Duchess. "'My ass,' said Sancho, which, not to mention him by that name, I'm accustomed to call Dapple. I begged this lady duenna here to take care of him when I came to the castle, and she got as angry as if I had said she was ugly or old. Though it ought to be more natural and proper for duennas to feed asses than to ornament chambers.' God bless me, what a spite a gentleman of my village had against these ladies. He must have been some clown, said Donna Rodriguez, the duenna. For if he had been a gentleman, and well-born, he would have exalted them higher than the horns of the moon. That will do, said the duchess. No more of this. Hush, Donna Rodriguez, and let... Signor Panza, rest easy, and leave the treatment of Dapple in my charge. For as he is a treasure of Sancho's, I'll put him on the apple of my eye. It will be enough for him to be in the stable, said Sancho, for neither he nor I are worthy to rest a moment in the apple of your highness's eye, and I'd as soon stab myself as consent to it. For though my master says that in civilities it is better to lose by a card too many than a card too few, when it comes to civilities to asses, we must mind what we are about and keep within due bounds. Take him to your government, Sancho, said the Duchess, and there you will be able to make as much of him as you like, and even release him from work and pension him off. Don't think, Signora Duchess, that you have said anything absurd, said Sancho. I have seen more than two asses go to government, and for me to take mine with me would be nothing new. Sancho's words made the Duchess laugh again and gave her fresh amusement. And dismissing him to sleep, she went away to tell the Duke the conversation she had had with him and between them they plotted and arranged to play a joke upon Don Quixote that was to be a rare one, and entirely in knight-errantry style. And in that same style they practiced several upon him, so much in keeping, and so clever, that they formed the best adventures this great history contains. Chapter 34 which relates how they learned the way in which they were to disenchant the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso, which is one of the rarest adventures in this book. Great was the pleasure the Duke and Duchess took in the conversation of Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, 
and, more bent than ever upon the plan they had of practicing some jokes upon them that should have the look and appearance of adventures, they took as their basis of action what Don Quixote had already told them about the cave of Montesinos, in order to play him a famous one. But what the Duchess marveled at above all was that Sancho's simplicity could be so great as to make him believe as absolute truth that Dulcinea had been enchanted when it was he himself who had been the enchanter and trickster in the business. Having, therefore, instructed their servants in everything they were to do, six days afterwards, they took him out to hunt, with as great a retinue of huntsmen and beaters as a crowned king. They presented Don Quixote with a hunting suit, and Sancho with another of the finest green cloth. But Don Quixote declined to put his on, saying, that he must soon return to hard pursuits of arms, and could not carry wardrobes or stores with him. Sancho, however, took what they gave him, meaning to sell it the first opportunity. The appointed day having arrived, Don Quixote armed himself and Sancho arrayed himself, and mounted on his dapple, for he would not give him up, though they offered him a horse. He placed himself in the midst of the troop of huntsmen. The Duchess came out splendidly attired, and Don Quixote, in pure courtesy and politeness, held the rein of her palfrey, though the Duke wanted not to allow him. And at last they reached a wood that laid between two high mountains, where after occupying various posts, ambushes, and paths, and distributing the party in different positions, the hunt began with great noise, shouting and hallooing, so that... Between the baying of the hounds and the blowing of the horns, they could not hear one another. The duchess dismounted, and with a sharp boar-spear in her hand, posted herself where she knew the wild boars were in the habit of passing. The duke and Don Quixote likewise dismounted and placed themselves one at each side of her. Sancho took up a position in the rear of all without dismounting from Dapple whom he dared not desert lest some mischief should befall him. Scarcely had they taken their stand in a line with several of the servants when they saw a huge boar, closely pressed by the hounds and followed by the huntsmen, making towards them, grinding his teeth and tusks and scattering foam from his mouth. As soon as he saw him, Don Quixote, bracing his shield on his arm and drawing his sword, advanced to meet him. The duke with boar-spear did the same, but the duchess would have gone in front of them all had not the duke prevented her. Sancho alone, deserting Dapple at the sight of the mighty beast, took to his heels as hard as he could and strove in vain to mount a tall oak. As he was clinging to a branch, however, halfway up in his struggle to reach the top, the bough, such as was his ill luck and hard fate, gave way, and caught in his fall by a broken limb of the oak, he hung suspended in the air, unable to reach the ground. Finding himself in this position, and that the green coat was beginning to tear, and reflecting that if the fierce animal came that way he might be able to get at him, he began to utter such cries and to call for help so earnestly that all who heard him and did not see him felt sure he must be in the teeth of some wild beast. In the end, the tusked boar fell pierced by blades of the many spears they held in front of him, and Don Quixote,
turning round at the cries of Sancho, for he knew by them that it was he, saw him hanging from the oak head downwards, with Dapple, who did not forsake him in his distress, close beside him. And Said Hamet observes that he seldom saw Sancho Panza without seeing Dapple, or Dapple without seeing Sancho Panza. Such was their attachment and loyalty, one to the other. Don Quixote went over and unhooked Sancho, who, as soon as he found himself on the ground, looked at the rent in his hunting coat and was grieved to the heart, for he thought he had got a patrimonial estate in that suit. Meanwhile, they had slung the mighty boar across the back of a mule, and having covered it with sprigs of rosemary and branches of myrtle, they bore it away as the spoils of victory to some large field tents which had been pitched in the middle of the woods, where they found tables laid and dinner served, in such grand and sumptuous style that it was easy to see the rank and magnificence of those who had provided it. Sancho, as he showed the rents in his torn suit to the Duchess, observed, If we had been hunting hares, or after small birds, my coat would have been safe from being in the plight it's in. I don't know what pleasure one can find in lying in wait for an animal that may take your life with his tusk if he gets at you. I recollect having heard an old ballad sung that says, By bears be thou devoured as erst, was famous favila. That, said Don Quixote, was a Gothic king who, going a-hunting, was devoured by a bear. Just so, said Sancho, and I would not have kings and princes expose themselves to such dangers for the sake of a pleasure which, to my mind, ought not to be one, as it consists in killing an animal that has done no harm whatever. Quite to the contrary, Sancho, you are wrong there, said the duke, for hunting is more suitable and requisite for kings and princes than for anybody else. The chase is the emblem of war. It has stratagems, wiles, and crafty devices for overcoming the enemy in safety. In it extreme cold and intolerable heat have to be borne. Indolence and sleep are despised. The bodily powers are invigorated. The limbs of him who engages in it are made supple. And, in a word, it is a pursuit which may be followed without injury to anyone and with enjoyment to many. And the best of it is, it is not for everybody, as field sports of other sorts are, except hawking, which also is only for kings and great lords. Reconsider your opinion, therefore, Sancho, and when you are governor, take to hunting, and you will find the good of it. Nay, said Sancho, the good governor should have broken a leg and kept at home. It would be a nice thing if, after people had been at the trouble of coming to look for him on business, the governor were to be away in the forest enjoying himself. The government would go badly on in that fashion. By my faith, senor, hunting and amusements are more fit for idlers than for governors. What I intend to amuse myself with is playing all fours at Easter time and bowls on Sundays and holidays. For these huntings don't suit my condition or agree with my conscience. God grant it may turn out so, said the duke, 
because it is a long step from saying to doing. Be that as it may, said Sancho, pledges don't distress a good payer, and he whom God helps does better than he who gets up early, and it's the tripes that carry the feet and not the feet the tripes. I mean to say that if God gives me help and I do my duty honestly, no doubt I'll govern better than a gear falcon. Nay, let them only put a finger in my mouth, and they'll see whether I can bite or not. The curse of God and all his saints upon thee, thou accursed Sancho, exclaimed Don Quixote, when will the day come, as I have often said to thee, when I shall hear thee make one single coherent rational remark without proverbs? Pray, your highness, leave this fool alone, for he will grind your souls between not to say two, but two thousand proverbs, dragged in as much season, and as much to the purpose as, may God grant as much health to him, or to me, if I want to listen to them. Sancho Panza's proverbs, said the Duchess, though more in number than the Greek commanders, are not therefore less to be esteemed for the conciseness of the maxims. For my own part, I can say they give me more pleasure than others that may be better brought in and more seasonably introduced. In pleasant conversation of this sort, they passed out of the tent into the wood, and the day was spent visiting some of the posts and hiding places, and then night closed in. Not, however, as brilliantly or tranquilly as might have been expected at the season, for it was then midsummer but bringing with it a kind of haze that greatly aided the project of the duke and duchess, and thus, as night began to fall, and a little after twilight set in, suddenly the whole wood on all four sides seemed to be on fire, and shortly after, here, there, on all sides, a vast number of trumpets and other military instruments were heard, as if several troops of cavalry were passing through the wood. The blaze of the fire and the noise of the warlike instruments almost blinded the eyes and deafened the ears of those that stood by, and indeed of all who were in the wood. Then there were heard repeated lelilis, after the fashion of the Moors when they would rush into battle. Trumpets and clarions brayed, drums beat, fifes played, so unceasingly and so fast that he could not have had any sense who did not lose them with the confused din of so many instruments. The duke was astounded, the duchess amazed, Don Quixote wondering, Sancho Panza trembling, and indeed even they who were aware of the cause were frightened, and in their fear silence fell upon them, and a postillion, in the guise of a demon, passed in front of them, blowing in lieu of a bugle, a huge hollow horn that gave out a horrible hoarse note. "'Ho there, brother courier!' cried the duke. "'Who are you? Where are you going? What troops are these that seem to be passing through the wood?' To which the courier replied in a harsh, discardant voice, "'I am the devil. I am in search of Don Quixote of La Mancha. Those who are coming this way are six troops of enchanters, who are bringing on a triumphal car the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso. 
she comes under enchantment together with the gallant Frenchman Montesinos, to give instructions to Don Quixote as to how she, the said lady, may be disenchanted. If you were the devil, as you say, and your appearance indicates, said the duke, you would have known the said knight, Don Quixote of La Mancha, for you have him here before you. By God, and upon my conscience, said the devil, I never observed it, for my mind is occupied with so many different things that I was forgetting the main thing I came about. This demon must be an honest fellow and a good Christian, said Sancho, for if he wasn't he wouldn't swear by God and his conscience. I feel sure now there must be good souls even in hell itself. Without dismounting, the demon then turned to Don Quixote and said, The unfortunate but valiant knight Montesinos sends me to thee, the knight of the lions. Would that I saw thee in their claws, bidding me tell thee to wait for him wherever I may find thee, as he brings with him her who they call Dulcinea del Toboso, that he may show thee what is needful in order to disenchant her, and as I came for no more. I need stay no longer. Demons of my sort be with thee, and good angels with these gentles. And so saying, he blew his huge horn, turned about, and went off without waiting for a reply from anyone. They all felt fresh wonder, but particularly Sancho and Don Quixote, Sancho to see how, in defiance of the truth, they would have it that Dulcinea was enchanted. Don Quixote, because he could not feel sure whether what had happened to him in the cave in Montesinos was true or not. And as he was deep in these cogitations, the duke said to him, Do you mean to wait, Señor Don Quixote? Why not? replied he. Here I will wait, fearless and firm, though all hell should come to attack me. Well then, if I see another devil, or hear another horn like the last, I will wait here as much as in Flanders, said Sancho. Night now closed in more completely, and many lights began to flit through the woods, just as those fiery exaltations from the earth that look like shooting stars to our eyes flit through the heavens. A frightful noise, too, was heard, like that made by the solid wheels the ox carts usually have, by the harsh, ceaseless creaking of which, they say, the bears and wolves are put to flight, if there happen to be any where they are passing. In addition to all this commotion, there came a further disturbance to increase the tumult, for now it seemed as if in truth, on all four sides of the woods, four encounters or battles were going on at the same time. In one corner resounded the dull noise of a terrible cannonade. In another, numberless muskets were being discharged, the shouts of the combatants sounded almost close at hand, and farther away the Moorish lelilis were raised again and again. In a word, the bugles, the horns, the clarions, the trumpets, the drums, the cannon, the musketry, and above all the tremendous noise of the carts, all made up together a din so confused and terrific that Don Quixote had need to summon up all his courage to brave it. But Sancho's gave way, 
and he fell fainting on the skirt of the duchess's robe, who let him lie there and promptly bathed them through water in his face. This was done, and he came to himself by the time that one of the carts with the creaking wheels reached the spot. It was drawn by four plodding oxen, all covered with black housings. On each horn they had fixed a large lighted wax taper, and on top of the cart was constructed a raised seat, on which sat a venerable old man with a beard whiter than the very snow, and so long that it fell below his waist. He was dressed in a long robe of black buckram, for as the cart was thickly set with a multitude of candles, it was easy to make out everything that was on it. Leading it were two hideous demons, also clad in buckram, with countenances so frightful that Sancho, having once seen them, shut his eyes so as not to see them again. As soon as the cart came opposite to the spot, the old man rose from his lofty seat, and standing up said in a loud voice, I am the sage Lergandio. And without another word, the cart then passed on. Behind it came another of the same form, with another aged man enthroned, who, stopping the cart, said in a voice no less solemn than that of the first, I am the sage Alquif, the great friend of Urganda, the unknown, and passed on. Then another cart came by at the same pace, but the occupant of the throne was not old like the others, but a man stalwart and robust, and of a forbidding countenance, who, as he came up, said in a voice far hoarser, and more devilish. I am the enchanter Archialis, the mortal enemy of Amadis of Gaul and all his kindred, and then passed on. Having gone a short distance, the three carts halted, and the monotonous noise of their wheels ceased, and soon after they heard another, not noise, but sound of sweet, harmonious music, of which Sancho was very glad, taking it to be a good sign and said he to the duchess, from whom he did not stir a step, or for a single instant, Signora, where there's music, there can't be mischief. Nor where there are lights, and it is bright, said the duchess, to which Sancho replied, Fire gives light, and it's bright where there are bonfires, as we see by those that are all round us, and perhaps may burn us. But music is a sign of mirth and merry-making. That remains to be seen, said Don Quixote, who was listening to all that passed, and he was right, as is shown in the following chapter. End of chapter 34 Recording by Mike Conrad, January 2009